You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. All right, church. Man, I love worshiping Jesus. We're going to just jump in. There's a lot of stuff to cover today. We've been in a series called Sermon on the Mount. And it's just practical life lessons from the altar of life. This is a sermon that Jesus himself preached. So we said in week one that, man, we're not trying to preach this better than Jesus because nobody could. So what we want to do is just dig into what he said and figure out what it means for us in our lives. And and in week one, we got to see the gospel, the Beatitudes, and just the process of what it looks like to, to recognize that we're spiritually bankrupt, that we can't do for ourselves what needs to be done, and we needed a Savior, and Jesus became that for us. And then in week two, we saw that He went from identity, this is who you are in Jesus, to activity where we are called the salt and the light of the world. And we're to live as salt and light, to make things better, to push back darkness, to stand firm on the truth of the Word of God. And last week, Pastor Andrew talked about uh, anger in your heart and reconciliation and the importance of being not only reconciled to one another, but reconciled back to God. And Jesus is the great reconciler. Amen. So this week, we're going to continue on in this uh, sermon on the mount. But I want to I want to share something with you because this is this is going to be a tough week. There's there's some stuff in this sermon that maybe we, we don't really like to hear. There's some tough words here. And I. I really debated about just skipping this section. I'm just going to be honest with you. I really debated about, hey, let, let's just kind of skip these verses and we'll go to the next. And man, what I don't want is to be standing before Jesus one day and he say, hey, why didn't you tell the people the truth of the word of God? It would be cowardly for me to skip this section because it's a difficult section. But it would also be a disservice to you guys if you didn't know what the Bible says about this stuff. And what we're going to look at today really quickly is we're going to look at lust and then we're going to look at divorce. And we're going to see what the Bible says about those things. And here's my prayer for this week. And I've been praying, I've been wrestling with this all week. I've I've really just been, man, I've been laboring over how I can really explain God's Word in a way that shows that He is still a good God and that He loves you. And then I realized that, hey, the Spirit does that, right? So I'm just going to present the truth to you in love, but this has been my prayer for the week. My prayer has been that marriages will be saved, that chains of addiction would be broken, that healing would happen, that the whispers of condemnation would be hushed, that repentance would take place and that ultimately love would reign in your life. And that's been my prayer throughout this week. And and I'm, I'm confident that the Spirit is going to work in this place today. But before we dive into Matthew chapter 5, I want you to just kind of remember a verse throughout this entire day. And then I want you to just plant this word in your heart. I want this to be a verse that you live by and it's Romans 8.1, and it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if there's whispers of condemnation in your life, I want you to know this morning that that is the language of the enemy. 
That is a lie from the enemy telling you that you are not fit for use. That there's nothing good about you. That God doesn't love you. And that you're condemned because of your past. You're condemned because of your struggle. And I want you to know that that's a lie from the enemy. That the language of our God isn't condemnation. But in, in the book of Romans chapter 1, we see that conviction is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So we have condemnation, which is a lie from the enemy. And then we have the, the sweet, warm, sweet, sweet, sweet sound of conviction that comes from the Spirit that says, hey, this is an invitation for you to come back to me. This is an invitation for you to, to be reconciled to me. This is an invitation for you to be intimate with me. So I want you to understand this morning that no matter where you fall in all of this, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's dive in really quick. We'll be in Matthew chapter 5. And what we see here is that Jesus, they had the Old Testament law. They had, they had the law for Moses. So Jesus says, hey, therefore you've heard it said these things, but now I say to you this. So Jesus is saying, so this is, this is the law that Moses was given that he gave to all of you, but this is what I'm saying now. And this, he does this six, six times. It started last week with anger. He says, hey, so you've, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder, right? And everybody agrees. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, then you've already committed murder in your heart. So Jesus is, is taking this and saying, hey, so the action is really important. You shouldn't do it, but it goes deeper than the action. It really goes to the attitude, to the heart of the matter. So where's your heart? Jesus always goes for the heart. Jesus always goes for the inside because he knows when the inside changes and the, the outward actions will change as well. So this is the second time he does that. In this passage, we'll start in verse 27. It says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So let's just stop right there for a minute. I think it's really important that we define what lustful intent is. So what's it mean? Does that mean that we can't look at someone and say, Man, she's really pretty. Or, Man, he's really handsome. That is not what lustful intent means. I think it's, it's pretty common for us to see something and say, man, that's beautiful, right? There's pictures all over social media of like rainbows and people are like, man, look at this rainbow. It's so pretty. It's, it's the promise of God. And they don't even know what the promise is half the time, but they, they just know that it's some kind of promise from God. So, right, it's okay for us to, to see stuff and to think that something's beautiful or to think, think that something's uh, handsome or pretty. That's not what lustful intent means. And I just want to give you two just definitions that I think lustful intent is. I think that lustful intent is when we commodify a person for our own personal use. So lustful intent is when we turn someone into a commodity to be used for us and by us. Lustful intent is when we see something and we want as much pleasure as we can get from that. We turn that person, that picture, that page in a book, we turn that into a commodity for ourselves to bring us pleasure. 
And we're going to talk about it just a little bit. We're going to hit on pornography. And man, what happens a lot of times, right, with pornography is that people think, hey, I'm justified because I'm looking. I'm not touching. And that's one of the, the dumbest sayings in our generation, in my generation, is that, hey, you can look at the menu, you just can't eat. Well, no, that's not true. Because what we do is we look at the menu and we're looking at image bearers of God and in our minds and in our hearts, we're turning them into commodities to be used by us and for us with a lustful intent to bring us pleasure. Man, it's, such, it's so important. And it doesn't just stop with, with that. I think also sometimes lustful intent could be that we, we put ourselves in some romantic or sexual fantasy just to escape the reality that we're living in. For instance, we're in this marriage, and this marriage is just what we would say, man, this marriage is boring, I want something better. So what we do is we find a book, or we find a, a video, or we find a, a, a blog, I don't even know if blogs exist anymore, but we find a blog, um, maybe a vlog it is, I don't know what it's called, right? But you find something, and you escape reality by putting yourself in this type of fantasy world. And it's dangerous. And this lustful intent does something within us that we just can't explain. I'm going to show you how important it is because Jesus continues on in verse 29 and says this. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now just imagine these people standing around, sitting around. Jesus is on the side of this mountain giving this amazing sermon. And Jesus is a, he's a parable guy, right? So man, just imagine you're waiting for him to explain why he doesn't really mean what he just said. Like where, what's the symbolism of this? The problem is he never gets to that point. Jesus really says, hey, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And you would say, man, that's really extreme. And I think Jesus would say, yes, yeah, so adultery, sexual immorality, lustful intent, and it's extremely important that you understand. It's extremely important that you understand that this, this is a pathway that you enter into. That when we begin to allow ourselves to be overtaken by lustful intent, then what that does is we begin to go down a path that is filled with destruction at every single turn. And Jesus says, hey, it's this important. You have to go to extreme measures to get away from sexual immorality. See, this is a deep, deep, deep problem within you. He says, hey, so yeah, you know you shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't, if you're married, you should not sleep with someone else, right? It's pretty evident. It's the seventh commandment. Don't do it. And then Jesus says, hey, but this is what I have to say about this. And any of you who looks at someone with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. 
And he says that because he's well aware of the, of the journey, of the pathway that this leads to in your life. That it causes hurt and pain and destruction. And what it does is it pushes you farther and farther away from the holiness of God. And this is so important. This is what happens though. What happens is we try to manage this on our own. And we could call this like linear lust management. It's, it's some type of sin management that we try. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, uh, this thing called covenant eyes. It's something you can put on all your electronic devices and it's supposed to block all that stuff. You can't go and look at the stuff you're not supposed to look at. I think that's a good idea. I'm not saying that that's bad. That's part of sin management. Accountability partners. It's good to be in community. It's good to have accountability. But that's part of sin management. And I think it's important that we, we have these, these things that we can actually use and that we can help manage. But man, we have to attack this in a different type of way. This isn't something that we can just do on our own and win the battle. That's not how this works. Jesus knew how extreme it was when He said, hey, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away because it's better to lose that than for you to spend eternity apart from Him. If you don't think this is extreme, man, this is extremely important. We're going to see in a few minutes how important this is and how Paul teaches about this topic. And I just want you to know this morning that there are over 80% of people in this country that, that struggle, whether it's a, a full-on addiction or whether it's just a, an occasional dabble, they struggle with pornography and sexual immorality. Over 80% of the people in this country. That's a lot of people. But the enemy understands the destruction that this causes. And his ultimate goal is to kill you. It's to steal away everything that you have. It's to cause you as much hurt and pain as possible. So that he can whisper condemnation into your ear and say, hey, you are not fit for use. And the encouraging thing this morning, is that God says there's no condemnation for you that are in Christ Jesus. And we can't do this on our own. So how can we attack lust? We see in Proverbs 5 through 7, there's this, there's this dialogue going on between what we, we think is a father and a son. And there's a, there's a prostitute's house like around the corner and down the street. And the son's kind of standing on the corner. And the father's like, hey, don't even start going down that road. Don't take the steps. And the son's like, man, I got this. I'm cool. I can manage this on my own. And the father asks a very, very important question. He says, who can hold fire close to his chest and not get burned? See, that's what happens is we think that we are strong enough to manage this on our own. That sin management is enough. That linear lust management is enough. And man, this, this wise father in Proverbs says, hey, who can hold fire that close to his chest and not get burned? Who can take steps down this path of destruction and not be hurt? 
So how do we attack it? What do we do? I think that we have to we have to really go to extreme measures. And what that looks like is, man, Scripture teaches us, the Shema teaches us to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And I think we have to attack this in all four of those areas. I think we have to attack lust, first of all, with our heart. We have to see and we have to recognize how we were raised, the most important relationships to us. What, what's the relationship like with our parents? What, are the, what, what kind of relationships have we had in the past? What kind of sexual partners have we had? What are these relationships that are affecting the way that we are living life right now? We have to attack this at a heart level, and then I think we have to attack this at a soul level. Because whether you want to admit it or not, lust, lust for intent, pornography, adultery is demonic. And if you don't think that it is, I want you, if you've ever struggled with, with the addiction, and not just of lust, but any addiction, how many times have you told yourself, I'm never going to do that again? I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to do that. And then a week later, two weeks later, a month later, you're right back to the same spot. How else do you explain that but that the enemy is working hard against you? There's a demonic aspect of this, and we have to attack this at a soul level and recognize. We have to recognize that the devil's at work. And that the only way we're going to beat this is with the power of Jesus. So we, we attack this at a heart level, a soul level, and then a mind level. Man, we have to pay attention. Pay attention to the situations that make you most vulnerable. Pay attention to the, to the environments that make you most vulnerable. When do you slip the most? When do you struggle the most? Those things matter. We have to attack this at a mind level, and then we have to attack this at a, at a strength level, a physical level. And this is where it may get a little extreme for you, but the environment does matter, so maybe for some of you, you need to take your cell phone, and you need to get a flip phone that doesn't have the internet, that doesn't have any of that. They do still have flip phones. Man, my dad had a flip phone up until like two years ago. So, I mean, they do, they do make them. Maybe you just need to get rid of your cell phone altogether. Maybe all electronic devices need to go out of your house. Maybe there's, maybe there's a certain person that you just need to stay away from. And you need to make it a point that you stay away from that person. And this is extremely important. And Jesus says we take extreme measures when it comes to sexual immorality, when it comes to lustful intent, when it comes to adultery. We take extreme measures measures and we attack this we attack this at the heart level at the soul level at the mind level and at the strength level it's extremely important man I, I understand this because there was a time in my life that I, I was addicted to pornography and it, so it was, it's, this is something that's real to me, and it's something that I understand that sin management doesn't work. It doesn't matter how hard you try on your own, that you have to attack this in a way that you allow the Spirit to be who He is in your life. 
is so important because it leads to destruction in every area of your life. And even when things are going well, they're never going well. And if you've ever been in any type of addiction, you understand that saying that, man, even when everything's going well, it's never going well. It never feels right. There's always something off. It's because the enemy is constantly attacking you and telling you that you were condemned. You might as well keep going. There's nothing you can do. You're not strong enough. And here's your response to that. You're right. But he is strong enough. Jesus is strong enough. He does love me enough. And he is he's convicting me. And the kindness of that conviction leads me to repentance. And it's so important. Because this is something that the majority of people in this country struggle with. And don't try to manage this by yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, it says this. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to verse 11. This is important. And such were some of you. But, but, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want you to see that Paul says, hey, some of you were this way. But man, you've been justified. You've been sanctified. You've been bought with a price. And you no longer have to live that way. He says, hey, your your past sin and your current struggle doesn't get to define you. None of that gets to define you unless you allow it to define you. And as your pastor... My prayer for you, my hope for you, is that you get up and you walk in the freedom that was purchased for you. That you don't allow the whispers of the enemy to condemn you into thinking that you're not fit for use. When Jesus is saying, hey, I love you, I bought you with the ultimate price. You've been justified, you've been sanctified, and you've been washed by the blood with a price. Man, get up and walk in the freedom of Jesus. He goes on to say, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Then he says this, flee from sexual immorality. So here's the importance of this, really quickly. If you go to Ephesians 6, Paul's writing a letter to the church of of Ephesus. 
And he says, hey, when you see, when you see the enemy, when you see the devil, I want you to stand firm. I want you to put on the whole armor of God and I want you to get ready for battle. When you see the devil, get ready for battle. And then he says, when you see sexual immorality, run like crazy. That's how important this is. Flee from sexual immorality. Get away from it. Take extreme measures in your life because it causes nothing but destruction. It says flee from sexual immorality. Why? Say, why do we need to flee from that? And he gives us the answer. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person has sinned against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And here, we're going to wrap lust up with this, and then we're going to jump to divorce really quickly. But I want you to understand something, that God loves you enough to buy you with a price. And the price was His Son. And when He said it is finished, it counted for you. And if you have a past of, of struggling with lust, lustfulness or you have a, a current struggle with that, I want you to know something, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that we have to war with Him. That we have victory through Him already. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the victory is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is so important. So get up and walk in the freedom because you were bought with a price. That's how loved you are. And then we jump back to Matthew chapter 5. And I joke around about this a lot and say, hey, I'm not the, I'm not the writer, right? I'm just, the deli- I'm just delivering the mail to you guys. And this is the truth, but I want you to understand what the Bible says about this. Verse 31 says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Before we dive into this, I think it's really important for us to understand the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage. And we did a whole series on marriage back in February. And so I'm not going to get really deep into this. But I want you to understand that the purpose of marriage has nothing to do with personal satisfaction. It has nothing to do with you being satisfied personally. It has nothing to do with with you having some type of fulfillment in your life. None of that is the purpose of marriage. This is the purpose of marriage. To glorify God by putting on display the picture of how He loves the church. That's the purpose of marriage. We're putting on display the picture of how God loves the church. It has nothing to do with your personal fulfillment or satisfaction. And I know that's tough to hear. It's tough for me to hear that sometimes. But I think we can understand what he teaches about divorce in the context of the purpose of marriage. And the purpose of marriage is for one man, one woman, for one life to come together and to put on display the picture of how God loves the church. So that's the purpose of marriage. So husbands, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul teaches us to love our wives as the church. 
to give ourselves up for her, to protect her, to encourage her. And we do that because it shows the world that Jesus died for us, that He loves us, that He encourages us. Wives, in that same passage, it teaches you to, to celebrate, to cheer, to, to encourage your husband. And it shows the world that, man, we're to celebrate and we're to cheer and we're to encourage each other to worship an almighty God. It's a picture put on display for the world to see the relationship between God and His church. That's the purpose of marriage. So if we dive into this, I want to give you three concessions that are made for divorce biblically because that's a question that I get all the time as a pastor. What are the biblical grounds for divorce? First of all, let me say this, that these aren't commands of God. He doesn't say, hey, get divorced if this happens. He makes concession for divorce in these situations. We see in the book of Malachi that it says God hates divorce. And He hates divorce because the purpose of marriage is to display to the world the relationship between Him and the church. And He's never leaving us. He loves us. There's nothing that we can do to make Him leave. He is always faithful and He's always going to be there. So Malachi says he hates divorce, but this is what it, it doesn't say. It doesn't say that he hates the divorced person. And it doesn't say that he doesn't reconcile and he doesn't restore and he doesn't do all these amazing things that he does. So here are the three concessions. Let's jump to Matthew 19 really quick. Jesus is, is teaching and the Pharisees come up and they're always trying to trick Jesus into something. It says, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read? And this is an insult because that was their job was to know what the Bible said. So this would be like one of you saying, Hey, do you even read the Bible? To me, it's a huge insult in the first century. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits Adultery. So the first concession here that we see is adultery. But Jesus, again, doesn't command adultery. Moses didn't command adultery. He gave a concession for it. So here Jesus is saying, hey, this should not be your first option. This shouldn't be your first choice. Reconciliation should always be the first choice. But if things can't be reconciled, because so much damage is caused, with sexual immorality, then there is a concession made for divorce. We see in the book of Hosea that Hosea is a prophet. God says, hey, I want you to go marry a prostitute, and her name's Gomer. Here's the first lesson. If, you've, if ever, anybody ever tells you to marry a girl named Gomer, it's probably not a good idea. But this was God, right? So he's like, yeah, cool, I'm going to go marry Gomer the prostitute. So he marries her. And then she does what prostitutes do. She, she began to sell herself to other guys and, and commit adultery. 
She's back doing her thing. And God comes back to Hosea and says, hey, I want you to take your money and I want you to go buy her back. And you say, well, why would he ever do that? And he does that because he wanted to show the world the picture of his relationship with his people. That even when we prostitute ourselves out to the world to sin, that God says, hey, I bought you. I'm, I'm bringing you back. I want to reconcile you back to myself. So from the beginning, it was not so for divorce, but Moses wrote in this law, and then Jesus echoes this and says, hey, there's a concession for adultery. I want you to, I want you to, to think about Jesus being lifeless in a tomb and the Holy Spirit coming and breathing life into him. In the same way that if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. In that same way, if your marriage seems dead, anything is possible. The Spirit can breathe life back into your marriage. Don't let divorce be your first option. Adultery is the first concession. Second one is abandonment. And I can't get into all that, all the, all the stuff here, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's saying, hey, if you can be single, be single. That's great. Paul wasn't a big fan of marriage. He was never married because man, he said, hey, if you can be single, there's no distraction, right? And all the men said amen to that. You probably don't need to say that. But if you're single, there's no distraction. You can focus on Jesus. But if you do get married, he says, hey, so... If sexual immorality, if you're being tempted, right, then you might as well marry her because it's not good to be tempted. I've never heard that read at a wedding, right? I've never heard it say, hey, so uh, Karen and Mike are getting married and it's because Mike was really sinning because he just wanted to do some stuff with Karen. So they're getting married so they don't sin. That's never at a wedding, right? You just don't say that. So Paul's saying all this stuff and then we get to verse 15. And there was a lot of people coming to know Jesus. So there was, there was now people who were believers married to non-believers, so he's going to talk about that. And he says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So here's the deal. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, if you're abandoned, then there's a concession for you for divorce. If you're a believer and you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever says, hey, I want nothing to do with this life and they abandon you and they leave you. Then he gives a concession for that abandonment. What it doesn't say is that the believer should leave the unbeliever. It doesn't say that. It actually says, hey, how do you know what God's going to do? How do you know that God's not going to use you as a believer to, to win your spouse over to Jesus? So he says, hey, you're not supposed to leave, but if you're abandoned, then there's a concession for divorce. And the third thing is this, abuse. I really don't have time to get into all of this, but here's the deal. If you or your children are being abused, you need to get out immediately. You need to leave that situation. You need to allow the church to help you to walk with you through that. But if you're being abused or your kids are being abused, then, then the spouse is acting like an unbeliever and they've, in essence, abandoned you, so get out. Separation is a must immediately. Just get away from the situation. 
But in all three of these, I'm closing here. I want you to understand something. That if you're going through this right now, that don't do it by yourself. That there's a community of believers who want to walk with you through this. And for some of you, maybe you've, maybe you've already been divorced and there's a lot of questions. Should I be remarried? Should I not be remarried? Is it okay for me to do this? And there's no way for me to give one big blanket answer because there's a ton of different situations. But this is what I would say. Trust that God is good. Trust that God is good and trust that God is not done with you. And if you're married, no matter if you've been divorced or not, understand that the purpose of your marriage is to put on display the picture of God's relationship with the church. And that's the purpose of your marriage. If you're struggling this morning with sexual immorality, with adultery, with lustful intent, don't do it alone. Don't just struggle alone. Confess the struggle, get with community, and attack this at the heart soul, mind, and strength level. And allow us to walk with you. See, when we confess and repent, God restores and forgives. Now what a blessing that is. I'm going to give you just some stories because there's redemption all in the Bible and sexual brokenness. In John chapter 4, we see this woman at the well. Jesus comes to her and says, hey, what are you doing? Go get your husband. And she's like, well, I'm not married. Jesus says, yeah, I know you've been married five times. And the dude you're with is not even your husband. Jesus says, hey, this, this situation that's difficult, this situation that nobody wants to talk about, that's the situation I want you to bring to me. That's the situation that I want to meet you at. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? You're restored. He restores her brokenness. This, this woman who comes to the well in the middle of the day so no one else can see her because she's so ashamed, she's so embarrassed, Jesus meets her in that place. Jesus wants to meet you right where you are in this place today. And He wants to restore and redeem you. In John chapter 8, we see this woman caught in the act of adultery. Like legit caught in the act of adultery. They bring her out. And I don't know why I picture this in my head, but I picture like a beach with the ocean on the side. I don't think Scripture says that, but that's just what I picture. So here they are. She's, she's just laying there, laying there naked, right? She was caught in the act of adultery. And back then she could be stoned for that. So she's just, she's, she's sitting there. She's laying there, whatever she's doing. And she's just, man, I can imagine what's going through her mind. And here's all her accusers around her. And Jesus gets down on eye level with her. And I think it's to remind her that she's an image bearer of him. And then he looks at the accusers and says, hey, so whoever, all you perfect people, you can, you can go first. He writes some stuff in the sand. I think it confuses everybody. And all the accusers are like, nah, if the judge of the universe is about to start judging, I don't want to be a part of it. And they all walk away. And Jesus says, hey, where are your accusers? And the, the girl looks around. It's like, there are none. And Jesus says, hey, so neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. 
Here's this woman who was bracing, right? She was bracing for a stone, and instead she was hit with the grace of Jesus. And there's some of you, the enemy continues to whisper that you need to brace for the stone because you're not good enough, you're condemned, and the grace of God is hitting you instead. Man, accept that in this place. Accept the grace of God. And then probably one of my favorites is David. And David is lazy. He goes out on his porch. He sees this pretty girl bathing. And he's like, hey, I want her. So he calls for her. He, he has relations with her. She gets pregnant. He's trying to cover up this adultery. He brings her husband back from war and says, hey, sleep with your wife. Maybe we can get away from this. And he's like, no, nah, man, my, my guys are at war. I'm not doing this while they're at war. So he sends them back to war, puts him on the front lines because he knows he'll be killed. And boom, David's married to this lady who wasn't his wife. He's having a kid. It's like, man, what can God do with all this brokenness? David eventually confesses and repents. He writes Psalm 51. He says, hey, create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He confesses. He repents. And God blesses his marriage and his household. They have a son named Solomon who eventually builds the temple and who's in the lineage of a guy named Jesus. And I don't know, maybe you are in some situation where there's murder and adultery and and all this crazy stuff. I don't know. But man, it doesn't get much worse than that. And God shows up in the brokenness and does what only He can do. So no matter where you are, in this place, no matter what your past is, it doesn't define you. God defines you as His child. He loves you. And He's got plans and a purpose for your life. Let's stand together this morning. And if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. Is that my prayer for you is that marriages are restored, that people confess and that they repent, that healing takes place, and that ultimately love reigns in your life. Man, God's bigger than we could ever imagine. He is the creator of the universe. He's the savior of the world, and He is your Father. He loves you, and He wants you individually He cares about you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. Hey, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get up and walk in the freedom. He paid the price for you. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.